This is the Greyhorn Pagans Podcast. Here we talk everything paganism, heathenism, witchcraft, mystery, and mythology. Sit back, relax, open your minds, and let's take you back to the days of our ancestors. Welcome everyone to the Greyhorn Pagans Podcast. Gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, welcome to the Greyhorn Pagans podcast. It is my pleasure to introduce to you my guest for today, Mr. John uh, John White, better known as Kraken Forts. John, how are you doing today? Introduce yourselves to our viewers and our lovely listeners. Yeah, I suppose great to be here. Thank you for the invite. Um, I'm John White on a YouTube channel called Crick and Ford, where I discuss mythology, normally around Indo-European uh, culture and tradition, but can go further afield if you wish. Uh, my specialities are in Anglo-Saxon and Old Norse literature, uh, but I expanded from there over the years in independent research. And so, yeah, that's, that's why I'm here, because you want to talk probably about Indo-European culture and tradition yeah. and mythology. Yes, yes. Uh, on the podcast, we very much specialize in all things um, old European, but I wanted to take a little further back to where the old Europeans come from. And uh, first question, I guess, should we call should we be calling it Indo-European or Indo-Aryan? Is there a difference between yeah, the two? Definitely. So, uh, well, it depends where you're from. How people define things can be a bit of, of an issue sometimes, but academically, when we say Aryan, we tend to mean Indo-Iranian, as it is a Persian okay. term. Aryan um, came from Persian, so Indo-Iranian. Um, uh, Indo-European means everything from Scandinavia down into India, along okay. that lines. So uh, Indo-European, I, I know what you're talking about. Uh, Indo-Iranian, we're talking from the east half of the steppe. European, we're talking about the west half of the steppe, basically. And the okay. steppe is where the Proto-Indo-European language began, and it is the people who spoke the Proto-Indo-European language that then dispersed and became the Indo-Europeans that we know today. Okay, yeah, I've always had a little, uh, little trouble with uh, with differentiating the two because you hear, um, you'll hear about both, and you'll hear both mentioned and um, some some people some content creators will talk about them like they are at the like they're the same the same kind of yes. people so that's that's why i i asked because um i mean they're like there's a difference in name so yeah, you do you do hear that but yeah i mean they associate Aaron with, a, with a, a particular i guess genetic makeup of i mean the europeans and and i yeah I, I don't really i'm not one to support that theory it's um indo-europeans and proto-europeans were incredibly diverse uh, and okay. we can talk about that and we can talk about their origins and how we know these things um, part yeah of no process. yeah please i mean um east and and west i mean just looking here in in europe uh east europeans west europeans yeah we're like we're both europeans but we're very much different how did that um how was that on the on the step like way way back in the in those days how did um... okay so yeah so let, let's explain how europeans became to be europeans then um yeah if, if it's probably a good way so twenty thousand years ago we had hunter gatherers normally associated with some a, a term we call western hunter gatherers which mm. are people who didn't farm they basically hunted and get and gathered their food as, as you know, the, the days and months and years went on. Then we started to see farming uh, happen around probably 16,000 years ago. We first started seeing domestication of crops and probably about 11,000 years ago, there was a significant amount of crop domestication. So when people talk about farming, uh, sometimes people think, oh, we just started farming and got a lot of food from that. Well, it was a process that took thousands of years. I mean, we, we yeah. you know, five, 10% of our food you know, 16,000 years ago to 
80% of our food 11,000 years ago. It took time to build the crops and, and work out how yeah. to irrigate fields and the like. So these farmers uh, happened in the Near East. This all happened in uh, sort of around Mesopotamia, uh, Syria, Anatolia, so so South uh, East Turkey, and Syria down where Israel is, and, and down Mesopotamia, mm-hmm. and into Egypt and down the Nile. So all this was considered fertile land, a fertile crescent where we could grow things. And then as these populations, these cultures became more successful, they wanted to expand because the populations grew because they were successful. So where yep. did they go? Some of them went along the coast into Turkey, into Anatolia at the time, and we see lots of uh, different cultures grow, that, grow up there. Then they go into Greece, into Crete, and then up the Danube into Europe. And by about six and a half thousand years ago, these Neolithic farmers are in southern Europe and they've migrated there as families. So these cultures took groups of families along with them and that created the diversity to to breed and, and continue their lines. Yeah. Uh, but they rarely um, bred with the Western hunter-gatherers. There was sort of no need. There probably was a little bit of trading. There probably was a little uh, admixture going on, as we would call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but they generally kept themselves to themselves. Um, and then about six and a half thousand years ago, they stopped migrating into Europe because Europe didn't look like the Mediterranean. When you get into when you get to yeah. Austria and Switzerland and Germany, it's forests and and the like. It isn't nice clay and, and, and no. That's, to... that's um, why the why the Romans like really didn't like the, um, the yeah. Netherlands when they uh, when they came here. It was all marshlands and swamplands. Exactly. And... So very different. So it took them about a thousand years to work out how to farm in Europe. So you'll see this stop about six and a half thousand years. And then around 5,000 years, you see them progressing to mainland Europe. Now, at this point, the Indo-Europeans have started pastoral farming. So what that means is they were really just keeping cows. They didn't worry about uh, farming crops. They just worried about keeping animals. And, and the cow was the most important animal to them because it was a very useful animal. You could use all of its parts for something useful. You know, its bones, its flesh, its, uh, yeah. you know, its hide and the like. And so these Indo-Europeans were coming into Europe uh, and they were trading with these Neolithic farmers initially. Um, but then, unfortunately for the Neolithic farmers, what seems to have happened around 5,000 years ago is that these Indo-Europeans brought with them the plague. Oh. And the Indo-Europeans were pretty resilient to the plague, mm-hmm. but the Neolithic farmers hadn't hadn't come across it before. And so we see no. an absolute decline of Neolithic farmers in Europe about 5,000 years ago, which created space for the Indo-Europeans to come in. Yeah. Now, the Indo-Europeans are a, were very, a very patriarchal society in the sense that in their family units, if the father died, the eldest son would inherit the father's land. And this is how you get Kurgans and the like. You can get these burials one on top of the other. This is the father oh, giving it to his okay, eldest son, right. giving it to his eldest son. And that's... I mean, Kurgan. we still do that. Exactly. I mean, it's, well, there's still a, a hint of patriarchy in the society today. Fair um, enough. Yeah, so, so you'll see this. Um, you know, the eldest son thing still, still persists in some places. So yep. what happens, though, is the youngest sons, what did they do? Their father died. Well, they went off to warrior camp you could call it and so we have some evidence uh, of archaeology of of there being groups of young men forming these cults or all these these sort of unions that went around sort of practicing hunting and the like uh, and they went into europe now the, if you've got um, all these men sorry would that be the the manor boons the yes, uh, the, war, yeah, the warrior like bands yeah yes yeah. exactly so they come into europe uh and what do they do? They've got they haven't got any families, they haven't got any women with them. So they take women from the hunter gatherers mm-hmm. uh, or from the Neolithic farmers that are around. Uh, and they've got no use for the men, so they kill the men, keep the women. And that tends to be what happened. And although people don't like talking about it, but that is the way, the way of the world back then. Yeah. And so you immediately find the first generation of Indo Europeans that some of the proto-Indo-Europeans into Europe immediately breed with 
uh, Neolithic farmers or with Western hunter-gatherers. And so the first generation or the second generation of Indo-Europeans is a mix. Mm -hmm. So there is no pure DNA. There, you know, that is a, a fallacy. You, you immediately yeah. jumped and you can, and there's lots of DNA evidence to show that uh, various people that Central Indo-Europeans have a mix of Western hunter-gatherer, Neolithic farmer, and Indo-European. Uh, the only area where that isn't quite true is Sicily, which doesn't have uh, much the Indo-European piece. It has Neolithic farmers or Western hunter-gatherers, but the Indo-European piece didn't get there. So that's quite interesting. I think that's, mm. that's right. Um, but, but the rest of Europe, in various degrees, you get this. And, and a very similar story happens, although they didn't have any um, Western hunter-gatherers in, in India and Asia. They, they had other groups, but you get a similar degree of a melting pot of things going on as yeah. uh, the Indo-Europeans go into Persia and into India. And, and then some of them go into Asia and Siberia. That didn't go too well, but that's primarily because Asia had a lot of um, warriors on horseback there. That, and so it would be hard for them to settle. But you, but you do see that at the very earliest. Yeah. So the Indo-Europeans, there were multiple phases of migration. It wasn't just one big migration, but the earliest migration tended to, to be a success. And those earliest migrations we see in uh, resulted in, in some of the population of Scandinavia as well as in Siberia. But then there's a second lot that happens and that goes into Greece and into Persia. And we see this because the uh, Proto-Indo-European language has evolves over time. Mm -hmm. And we see that the stories told in Scandinavia and Siberia tend to have reflexes related to the Kentum part of the speech, version of speech of uh, Indo-European and those close to the hand in Persian Greece were more Satan. And, and that's good. So, so we can tell by the way people speak and the stories they tell what phase of migration they were. So we can actually see there were multiple okay. waves uh, and the earliest waves seemed to have gone to the extremes, which would make sense. And the secondary mm -hmm. wave didn't go quite as far. And that is how we get a quite a diverse population in Europe. Yeah, because uh, you were talking about, you know, being pure pure breed and pure mix and whatever that's that's a very contentious oh, point yeah, nowadays easy. yeah yeah uh, i have no support for that i mean people tend to stick with people they they know and like and you can understand why that is but there's always been diversity uh, in in humans always uh, yeah. and, and that's the case then you say you know europeans came as, as males and then immediately uh, found partners in other cultures that's yeah, what they did. I mean, you know, if you're, yeah, I mean, if it's a uh, a group of, you know, just men, and you know, for your your biology says, you know, you need to procreate, you you can't really be be picky, you know, if there are no other women around. It's well, it's like, well, you know, here's a woman, I guess. Okay, yeah, you know, I got. I mean, the Indo-Europeans are a diverse bunch, anyway. You know, yeah. From, from India to, to Scandinavia, there's a huge array of people and all amazing, great, amazing stories, you know, amazing culture, amazing ancestry. And yeah, so that is how we are. So that's, it's important to understand that. But because of, well, you, your next question might be, how do we know that? Well, I've yeah. just told you. Yeah, you might think, oh, that's a great story, John, but how do we know these things? So one, there is DNA evidence. There's, there's certainly so since... About 10 years ago, when we managed to start doing some really serious things with DNA analysis, mm -hmm. you know, we, we can start tracing DNA and can see which groups people come from and where they've mixed. They've got that. Uh, but we also, um, for my speciality, I, do, I deal with mythology. We can see mythological stories that have evolved and developed uh, across these landscapes. Yeah. So, for example, um, if we talk about Neolithic farming myths, so the Greek Greek have a creation. The Greeks have a creation myth uh, around where uh, Uranus and uh, Gaia, I think it's the Earth, uh, so the Earth Mother and, and the sky. Uranus is the yeah. sky, and, and uh, they give birth to Oceanus, the ocean, um, and then the, the Oceanus then uh, castrates, I think, uh, Uranus, and then. But they have, but he then has children with his mum, and, and that's Kronos, uh, and Kronos gets castrated, yeah, and has I, Zeus and other children. I, Did you I've see this? The, yeah, I've written the, the story on our blog, but it's, okay. it's been a, it's been a, it's been a while. Um, what does fascinate me is that in so many 
uh, creation stories all over the world, water is such a a big aspect. Okay, we come to that. Okay. Okay. So, but you get this myth. So, what you find in Neolithic farming mythology is that you get a mother and father have a son. The son tends to kill the father, marries the mother, and have a child. And that child tends to kill his father, and marries the mother or the daughter. And, and then kills yes. and you have three or four generations of this before you get older in the uh, theology and and, oh, wow. and, and, and have it. so and because we see that in Greece we can actually we have an almost exact replica of that myth in um Hurrian culture from Anatolia mm -hmm. and we have an and that seems to be an exact copy from Phoenician mythology and so we basically see this myth has traveled from so the fertile crescent we're talking about when Neolithic farming started mm -hmm. through Anatolia we see it going to Crete so that, that goes through the Mycenaeans and Minoans uh, and all the Minoans and then the Mycenaeans uh, and then into Greece so we actually see this travel of this myth go into Greece yeah so so that and that sort of gives us confidence that people from from the Phoenician society and and from earlier because they were then influenced by Sumerians and they're like uh, of pulled all the way through and then we see real examples of this so this is because the languages are different we can't use some of the tools we use in indo-european uh, mythology to work out the root so because indo-europeans languages all stem from the same language we there's this uh, subject called etymology where you can use yeah. science to basically say how words have evolved to different cultures but we don't get that from sort of sumer to phoenicia to hurrian to uh, Mycenaean to Greece. That the, the language is all different, but we see the story. And what we can do is we can trace the some of the gods back. So we can trace the god of Venus, for example, in the Roman Empire to Aphrodite of Greece. Yeah. But what's interesting, Aphrodite of the Greek, is she doesn't appear in Mycenaean culture. The Mycenaeans have eleven of the Olympian gods, but they don't have Aphrodite. It looks like she has come from Phoenicia, and she and in Phoenicia she's actually linked to Ishtar. Who's linked to Inanna, who's yeah. one of the oldest mother gods there is. You know, she's certainly well over six thousand years old, if not much older. So we actually see these gods from this farming culture. God, you know, and it tends to be the and she's the god of the earth and the sky. Yeah, that's, that yeah, has I, come to be this sort of mother goddess or this this love goddess. Although she's not really love. I mean, people mistakenly think Venus is a love god. She's a passion god. So. What, yes, you can have sexual passion, but you can also have passion for military victory, which is why yeah. you see it so on so many Roman coins and the like with the emperor. So emperor one side, Venus the other side. That's not because he was all loved up. That was because he had passion for <laughs> victory, passion for military yeah. success. No, of course, and especially with the especially with the Romans. Yeah, uh, yeah. in Germanic cultures, that would be uh, would be Freya, for example. Uh, um, yes, yes, they, they, the alignment isn't great with germanic no, cultures it's, and that, it's that's not, interesting it's not not the same of course but and we but can explain that so and the way we can explain that is because of this uh, migration of indo-europeans when i said there was mm -hmm. in effect two waves this early wave and this later wave uh the early wave it tends to be what has in effect influenced the pantheon of scandinavia and and okay. therefore germanic gods uh, and they actually went into the gods of the veneer so so my Belief yeah. is that the the veneer are in effect the remnants of the Neolithic farming gods, and then the Aesir are the remnants of the Proto-Indo-European gods, but have about those gods are probably more aligned with Neolithic names that came up in, in the early times rather than okay. they, they adopted uh, the the Indo-European names, and that's because we get this sort of split. So you get the Indo-European gods reasonably well mapped into the Slavic area and the Baltic area, sort of this. Yeah. And then when you get to more Western Europe, they, you lose them. You know, in, in, in the Germanic, uh, in, in, well, yeah, in, in Germania, you don't see them uh, directly aligned. You see a bit of Nerthus, which is, again, is Neolithic, um, and they talk about Manu and Twisto. So Manu is definitely an Indo-European primordial being. Uh, Twisto mm -hmm. is cognate with Emir. Uh, and that means oh, twin. Okay. So Mir means twin, Twisto, twin, Twisto, yeah. two. And that's linked to Yamo and Jimo and and, and the like. Uh, so, yeah, so so we see this. Uh, I think that's what's happened is 
is you've got the Neolithic farmers have come in, obviously gone, gone into Europe. They've probably been pushed into Scandinavia when the Indo-Europeans then came in. And then the Indo-Europeans have come up mixed um, early on, which is why you've got a good, um, I guess, DNA um, amount of, or percentage amount of, of Indo-European um, DNA in, in Scandinavia and, and Northwest Europe. Uh, and yeah, and, that, and that's how they've, they've synced their pantheon. And and you yeah. tend to find this these two pantheons exist in the European culture. You, you see it in uh, India as well. This this sort of split up. So that that's my view on that on how, on how the those sort of pantheons and gods tended to be. But you get you get far more uh, direct Indo-European cognates and etymology within the closer to the steppe um, and yeah. the Caucasus from Persia and into the say in Slavic and Baltic areas. Uh, and, and and into India than you do into Scandinavia and to Siberia. Yeah, yeah. I've always found that quite fascinating how um, the the gods of Northern Europe, if you will, how they like correlate to the the Roman gods, but it's not a direct reflection like Roman mythology, Greek mythology. The same it's... archetypes, but not yeah. the the sort of archetypes are similar. You can align them, but the you see the gods of Scandinavia are I guess some people call them personalities but to me they're like heroes so yeah. if you went to battle you would want to fight like Thor okay yeah so you want Thor in you, you want to be part of Thor you want to be like Thor and so therefore at that point you would venerate Thor to, to, to give you that yeah if you wanted to be ahead uh, of the the village or, or tribe and, and have multiple children you'd you be threat so you, know, you wanted yeah you know, that, that big energy that, that he had yeah and, and, <laughs> and, and, and the like so yeah so that, that's how i see it where you didn't necessarily get that same feeling for those more mediterranean indo-europeans who tended to have gods which were very much for specific things like gods for money and love and war and yeah that. they I weren't mean, the, the romans had like up to 200 different gods and incorporating every basically well, they, that's every what they other did. god that they found so yeah exactly so they they weren't uh, anti-gods when they came across other cultures they always accepted them and they often merged them you know we see that in, yeah. in britain though some of the gods we know about were mergers of British gods, old British gods, with Roman gods to, to create yeah, this. Yeah. So here yeah, in the Netherlands, you uh, you see that a lot too. Uh, best example I can think of is the um, the goddess Nehalenia, for example. Mm. We have found quite some Roman temples dedicated to uh, to Nehalenia. Well, she was well, very much a um, well a Frisian goddess. Okay, uh, okay, that's interesting. But yeah. the, the the Frisians, there was. Um, like now it's just one province, but back then it was the, uh, the entire, um, West, West coast, mm -hmm. like, uh, North all the way going down to West, what, which was considered, uh, yeah. Frisia and the other, uh, like Eastern Netherlands was more considered part of Germania. They were very two, yeah. uh, two distinct peoples yeah. and the, the romans only came up as far as the um, as the rhine the rhine river because you know swamplands marshlands and it's a good it's a good border it's a good you know yeah, good border to, border. Uh, just yeah but they did um, manage to uh hire mercenaries from north of there and so what you'll find oh, yeah, is that that's one of the reasons why they had that attitude towards gods is that if they restricted the gods you could worship within their legions then that will call disquiet amongst the you know the many people they've got in there that aren't yeah. from Rome. So that, that is part of the process. I mean, obviously they still had you know, uh, Jupiter Maximus or Optimus Maximus to, to yeah, be no, the chief god and things like that. But yeah, of we course. see that. And it was like it was also very well easy, so to speak, to uh, to become a Roman, and uh, you know you just had to serve like X and many. Mm -hmm. uh, X amount of years, I believe it was, was 40 years in the, the Roman army and you could be a, a Bavarian, you could be a Frisian or whatever. At the end of your service, you got Roman citizenship and 
a piece of land and you were considered a a Roman. So, yeah, and of course, you know, bringing the gods with them because, you know, those are still the gods of their people. I always found that very, um, very interesting. And you mentioned, um, was it about the uh, the eldest son taking up the the torch for the father? That's another thing Mm -hmm. you see. Uh, you see in Roman culture, I think it's interesting how that just... Well, it's in the European, went, in the um, European uh, tradition, yeah, in effect. Yeah, very, I've, very I've, patriarchal. I've worked at a um, like historical yeah, education park, if you will. Um, I was working in the, uh, the Roman era, if you will, and they always said that, or they, they taught me that the eldest son was uh was always you know taking up the torch from father was going into um you know like study with the father if your father was a craftsman you would be doing the same craft but all the other sons i mean you know you only need one pottery baker you only need one smith in the village so all the other sons basically just went to went to the went into the army because you know you always need soldiers especially with the just huge expansion yes i mean there, there wasn't cities as such in the european so cities have started being formed around uh the near east certainly but it, it took a little bit longer for cities to appear that were influenced from the indo-europeans yeah i mean they, they were, they were there. But, but that's another reason why they expanded so quickly because yeah, if you're I mean, breeding the, and you're having more kids and more kids more where are they going to go they can only yeah. Outwards. So yeah, that, that was, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy almost. That the that attitude of of, of um, patriarchy. Yeah. Well, it's um, a, yeah a very patriarchal society. But uh, on the other hand, the Frisians here, for example, or like just especially here in the Netherlands, it was very matriarchal, which I find quite contradicting. I wonder how that's how that manifested itself. I mean, it's, of course, you know, the mothers are important. There's always been mm-hmm. a mother goddess and veneration for Absolutely. for yep. the mother goddess. Um, and, you know, you see it in the in the myths as well. There's always the, um, you know, the man and the, and the woman or male goddess, female goddess, or just a, a female archetype, mm-hmm. if you will. But I, I can't, figure out or haven't done any proper research yet into why um like basically the whole of europe was patriarchal and man just you know ruled and then in frisia uh, in the northern netherlands it was very matriarchal i don't care okay. it'll be interested the evidence for that. that isn't something i'm i'm familiar with but be interested to see how, what evidence supports that and when that came to be so if it was for it was like six thousand years ago when indo-europeans were coming into europe and you're saying it's matriarchal that'd be really unusual if it's like two thousand years ago just before christianity or whatever then that's less surprising because things were starting to happen synchronicity of religions and cultures were starting to happen more no i should ask um Ask some of my uh, my friends at uh, Tribe of the Fox. They do a lot of a lot of Frisian, a lot of Dutch uh, research. Really good research. Uh, I guess I should I should ask them. Um, we talked about about the uh, the Aesir and the Vanir and those being like very different tribes of gods. And now there are stories about them like waging a a great war against each other like um like what are your thoughts on this because that's in it's a very um it's a topic that's been heavily debated but you know they they went they waged war against each other and finally you know they made peace and coexisted mm-hmm. and a, lo- a whole lot of people are saying no that you know that never happened and then you have the other side like both voices are well it's only so for so my from an academic point of view, it's only mythology. Okay, the, to me, these things didn't really happen, so I, I would yeah. approach it from that point of view. So, uh, sure. p- p- so it, it happened because the, the mythology happened because it's been written down. So, someone somewhere was telling those stories, and it would make absolute sense if this was a Indo-European um, 
culture hitting a Neolithic farming culture, and there was a clash, and this is the the story of how the gods came to be. Yeah, and, and that makes perfect sense. You know, if you give it 2,000 years, 3,000 years, which you would, then you end up with the story, the story you get, which is, you know, an absolute epic. If it's some, there's some epic tales in, in the Poetic Edda. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. Well, that's in the Prose I think, isn't it? Snorri's mentioned at the beginning. But I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to believe that it was a part of the mythology. That would make perfect sense. There's no reason why he would necessarily want to uh, adjust that. And you see these hints in, in things like the Jotuns that, um, you know, are, are again, these monstrous beings or whatever you want to call them and you got sure. to me they're, they're, they're almost like another population of people that have been sort of included in the myth you know they're, they're not they weren't the Neolithic farmers or they weren't the new peers perhaps they were the western hunter gatherers or perhaps they were other tribes the Sami tribes or a mixture of anyone who was the enemy you know, yeah they were just labeled this 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 label I mean, the dwarves or elves could easily be references to Sami culture, you know, who were very artistic and could do some really incredible things, perhaps. You know, it's their way of creating stories about people to fit into that mythology, because that's what mythology is all about. It's about creating this sacred truth about how your culture and traditions came to be and why they should be. Um, what, what's yeah. more interesting, and which we've lost, is the ritual part. So ritual tends to... Sort of inform us of the mythology being told but mm -hmm. what what's happened is we literally have almost zero knowledge of ritual that happened in in the nordic cultures yeah uh, you know now people try and reconstruct it but i'm i'm very skeptical about much of this reconstruction very skeptical indeed and in fact if people really wanted to reconstruct some of the things they'd be doing some very different things to, to, to what I oh, see. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. It's, yeah, because we sit in the Rig Vader and things like that. I mean, we can see rituals such as the libation. You know, they, they, yeah. So, in terms of summer, which I equate to the mead of poetry, you know, or they're taking a libation at a ritual, you know, they drink it, they urinate it out, and they drink it again, and then they vomit it out. Enjoyed listening to podcasts and ever wonder, can I make a podcast? But it seems so complicated and good audio production can take time. What if there was a way to create an amazing podcast easily? Well, now there is. Introducing Podcasting Made Easy from Podtastic Audio. My production team will handle your entire audio production, allowing you to be the star of your show. This is podcasting made easy. How easy? Well, so easy, you don't even have to press record. Now that's easy. Your listeners are waiting. Let's deliver. Sign up for a free strategy call today at podcasticaudio.com slash easy. That, that's what the priests do when um, taking the yeah. libations of summer. You don't see that happen in schedule. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I can't really no, imagine people not, would want to do that. Um, no, even for ritual purposes. Even for ritual all, purposes, it doesn't seem past. a healthy thing. Yeah, exactly. No, so, exactly. Even how, where, where do you go and which is right and, you know, and how do you connect it together? So, yeah, I, it's, you know, I, I have, I'm a bit of a romantic in, in the sense that the, the aspect of the lifestyle, I mean, obviously it was really hard back then, really hard, but yeah. there's aspects of the lifestyle I admire. You know, being one with nature and believing in a circle of life. So the Indian Europeans were very much what you take from the world, you give back some way, which is why yeah. there is sacrifice. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's a nice, that's, that's probably the wrong word to call it. But uh, yeah, that's, that's a very understandable logic to keep the world balanced. Uh, yeah. And we seem, and I, I like that aspect, but yeah, we seem to have lost much of this, yeah, th th this ritual. And that's, that's what I miss, even the storytelling aspect, so the mythology aspect. So today, if you read a story, you get a book and you'll sit down and you'll read it. But no one told stories like that 2,000 years ago. There, there weren't books. You had a storyteller or multiple storytellers in a village, and they just didn't sit down and tell you a story. They acted it out. In some stories, yeah. we were ritualized. Certainly some of the poems in the Poetic Edda, we're almost certain, were ritualized. So there was a whole aspect of telling the story with 
acting and theatre in a, a, a Viking hall with the well and the fire and and the, you yeah. know, there could have been costumes and masks and cloaks and and see that, that see that very much in in Roman mm. and Greek traditions exactly it's a very well. similar yeah. thing yeah I mean the, 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 you know that's why stories were poetry they you know, they were easy to remember uh, for that reason. And so, yeah, that's that is what I'd love to be able to recreate, and that's one of the things I'm trying to do with the Crack and Fork channel. So, hopefully, we're starting to get some really good storytellers together. We're going to try and do some live shows in the coming year or two, where we can recreate this ritual telling of stories, so people really see what it was like. Oh wow, that that would be absolutely amazing. I would I would love to would love to witness that. Would love to. Uh to be there but yeah that's that's one of the the downfalls of having a a oral tradition um mm. you know if you it's it gets gets lost especially when you know invaders whether that be you know the romans or the christians or you know ver or you know mm. way way earlier if they come in and just you know go on a rampage you you lose a lot of the of the stories or you know the people become so afraid to to tell those stories because you know they know what's gonna it's gonna happen um, it is i mean we've seen that recently so i, was, I, was, I know a romanian creator who, who, who talks mythology and in our lifetime um romania turned into a communist state i believe there's there some dictatorship and they stopped people uh being religious so no religious stories were told none of the old stories were told christianity oh, wow. was stopped even and it's and it's only like in the last 15 years or whenever when it's come back that they've started to tell them but what she's saying is they've lost some of the magic already even in that short time yeah. some of the people don't realize the meaning of the stories they only they don't they don't know the story but they don't necessarily and its primitive function has been lost and, and you see this you see this in uh, romulus and rebus's story so Romulus and Remus, the creation of Rome, that is an identical story to the Indo-European creation myth. But the aspect of that myth has been lost, and the primitive aspect has been lost, and it's turned into a, this is how the city was created. So from two twins suckling a wolf, and one kills the other, it's a twin in a blood sacrifice, and Rome is created, yeah. um, and the like. That, that is, in effect, the... Manu and Jimo, if you're familiar with the Indo-European creation myth, um, if not, I can tell you that. Uh, Manu and Jimo suckling on a cow. Manu kills Jimo, sacrifices Jimo. Jimo becomes the god of the underworld. And, and Manu creates the world from Jimo's body parts. Um, and, and so it's the same story, but they've lost that. And that's because it has been so diffused over time from the Indo-Europeans. So you've got the early Indo-Europeans probably coming down into Greece, into Crete, uh, as the My Minoans and then the Mycenaeans. And then that, that populates Crete somewhat, and then you get another dispersal of the Europeans later on. Um, and this is all on top of the Neolithic farmers that were already there. And you get this, yeah. And, and, and then that goes into Greece, uh, into Rome, sorry. And, and they get this hotchpotch of popuri of stuff, and they've got the Etruscans influencing them as well as the Greece and Greeks. And you get this mix, and, and so you lose that. So it's really difficult sometimes to to really know what's going on to understand what the myth really was and so we've got to be really careful on that so but yeah the old storytelling even to lose it for a short time can really affect the story so you have to think you know how much have we lost going back to the editors and all, all my th thoughts are that because all telling storytelling was such a thing back then hopefully mm. not much was lost where in this modern day and age for the romanian sort of analogy i'm using like for in our generation, a couple of generations ago, um, because that's in a time where there were books and television, perhaps we'd lost the art of old storytelling. So much more was lost in that period than would be expected otherwise. And so it's, you know, we, we, we shouldn't be so afraid that we've lost stuff from, from much longer or longer ago that was in documented. We, we haven't, um, we can be reasonably assured that the poet poetry was reasonably accurate i mean there are some issues with it when we, we see it with yeah. differences in the, in the volus bore uh and who knows what snowy was doing in some of the stories he was telling the prose editor. there's certainly yeah christian um conversion myths in, in yeah, there is, is added uh, without a doubt um but yes yeah that's that's one of my dreams to, to be able to tell these stories properly yeah 
and that's it's also one of the um, the biggest challenges facing the the pagan community today. I mean, with every like pagan creator, and it's, uh, it's a question I ask a lot in the um, in the tribe as well. Like, how are uh, like we we always try to recreate uh, the lives of our our ancestors, and I mean it's you know it's what we what we should be doing. Yeah, you know, find your 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 true ways but how do you translate that to the 21st century you know as you you just mentioned with the uh, the ritual of soma like it, it's not something we we do nowadays because we like we understand like that's just okay it's a ritual but that's that's really not healthy and it's not no. good for you and it's just it's down it's downright gross but it, it and, depends what you're trying to be though so you know i see unfortunately lots of people who call themselves pagans or heathens mm. and they like it for the romance of the idea of the you know the imagery yeah. rather than what did it actually mean i mean you could worship anything call it any god you want but still have the same beliefs as your ancestors two thousand years ago the name of the god doesn't really matter the no. the, the what you're sacrificing or how you're doing it doesn't necessarily matter so much, although ritual is quite important uh, in terms of remembering your religion, remembering the mythology. Uh, yeah. But what you really have to do is, you know, why are you alive? What is your purpose in life? And that, that goes down. There's a really, uh, I talk about this a lot, there's a poetic term we, we reconstructed in the Indo-European, uh, which says that death does not decay, oh no, fame does not decay. So if you're famous, your name does yeah. not decay, which is no, in effect saying live a great true. life and the poets will write songs about you. And if they write songs about you, your name will be remembered. You, you know, could that, say that's it's one of the ways of being immortal, being immortalized. Exactly. That I is mean, the way of being immortal. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That is immortality. I mean, so I've, I've done a video on, on death and I've basically said, I've said that again, but I said that you don't die when you die. You no. die when no one speaks your name again. Yeah, I was I was just thinking about that. We have uh, kind of a, a similar similar saying here in the Netherlands, like you die you die twice. Yes, like you yes. have your your physical death, and the last time when somebody you know speaks about you or thinks of you. And yeah, so you know, live a live a great life, and you'll, uh, yeah, live you'll like become immortal. <laughs> yeah, to just do yeah. something with your life that is purposeful and you know, reenacting things isn't you know if that's what you want to do that's what you want to do but give your life a real purpose make a difference to your family to your friends i mean that's what the hover model is about you know if you you must be familiar with hover model and the, the proverbs you know, you know, be kind yeah. to guests and serve them well i mean that's a it's a really accurate book of sayings even 2000 or well, probably 1500 years later after it was first written in its form it's absolutely you know, almost spot on in terms of how you behave, how people are. You know, we haven't changed those individuals, uh, you know, on how and how we behave. So, yeah, just make give your life purpose, and, and that's a harder thing to do nowadays. You know, we, you know, no one wants to go to war. No one, no one wants to be in battle. No, yeah, that. No, you know, life has changed. Yeah, you know, we have we have become more civil. So, how do you? create a purpose for for yourself when it's so difficult to do when you can't do the things your ancestors did which, who, and how they found fame i mean yeah in the history books you don't read about you know the youtuber from 2000 years ago no, there was <laughs> you know, yeah, but, you know, i'm never no, going to no, be no, famous you know, sort of thing but yeah what how, how do you make that difference especially today when there are so many stories yeah no, I think that's that's really that's a good one, and you know you you can't go out and just raid or you know try and and conquer new new countries, and that's you know that's what I meant with mm. like how how are you a um, a pagan? How how are you going to be a heathen in the twenty first century? You know we don't we don't longer live in you know in mud huts or on on farms. 
you know, we don't need to hunt and gather anymore. I mean, I can like take a three minute walk to the supermarket and just get everything I need. Exactly. You know, like life is is so much different, and I think especially the storytelling aspects. Um, you know, it's it's become a thing you you see in movies or you read about in books. You know, the the campfire stories, but how many people would actually still you know go into the woods and and tell those story, stories exactly. like those those situations in of itself have become a a story it's a story about telling the story, story yeah but that, that's the important thing the only th the things that remain today that were there two thousand years ago or whatever are friendship and family friendship yeah. and family are important so if you if we now have more time to be with our friends and family then surely we should be having the best of times with our friends and families, but we're not. You know, and I don't, what's, what's gone wrong? Something is, is fundamentally flawed. If you know, if we no longer have to hunt and gather, why aren't we having better times with friends and friends? Or perhaps we are, and we don't realise how bad it was back then. But that's that's really the achievement I want, is to yeah, have a great set of friends, have good times, have... You know, I love my kids and, and want you want to see them succeed. So yeah, but, but yeah, it's um that that's where I think focus should be. If you want to be a pagan or heathen, you know, concentrate on those values, the family values, your the values of your friends, because you know, everything else yeah. is the same. You know, in this society, you know, unless you're an outlier, unless you're doing something very different, like building your own log cut in the forest or living off grid, most people have to do the what we call the nine to five working routine every day. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's the other bits of the day. Do something different in those parts of the day that, you know, bring community together. Like, you know, you talk about having a tribe or whatever. You know, have, have a community of people, you know, build mm -hmm. them up and make sure you'll work together to achieve something great you could not achieve on your own. That'll be, that's an amazing thing. Yeah. And I think that's that's something that's become oh so important nowadays with you know just just about everything and everyone wanting to divide us and place us in certain you know like black or white and gay and straight and you're all like yeah you're all human but you're all different and you should be you know fighting each other and you know you should be the same you should be the same like just one homogeneous society but i think our it's our differences that that make us great i mean diversity is our strength you know it's what yeah, makes yeah, us it it's what makes us people just not the diversity that's you know bit, being shoved down our uh, exactly our yeah, right now yeah, yes it's one of the oddities in in life like you get these you know, every, you know everybody should work together but you see these pushes to try and split people up it becomes a thing you know you should yeah and there's no real it's just human nature i think like, in here you know, there is a i don't know how it explain this in my area of, of expertise but only stretching imagine, imagination but you know as i say people naturally be drawn to people like them I mean, you are you are yeah. some of the people you hang around with basically if you hang around with like yeah you, you turn into an average of the people you're with so th that's why diversity is a good thing because then you become broad-minded and aware of lots of things um being stuck with a group of people that haven't got that you, you you're limited in your view now that may work for you there may be benefits for you doing that but it just doesn't seem you know i want to learn more i want to see more i want to be more yeah, and that's is that if you want to improve your lot in life, surely that's a better way to go. Yeah, no, definitely. And uh, on the topic of uh, of reenacting, like uh, mm -hmm. another thing that's um, well, it's that's really growing is um, LARPing, live action role playing. So like really, really reenacting, um, you know, the battles yes. and 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 scenes. And do do you see that like? um growing bigger because oh, yeah so we see there's a there's a great team of people i don't know exactly where they're based hurstwick i think they're called where they reenact fighting from from the viking age 
and they do some really scientific studies. So, for example, like Vikings never f- fought on their horseback. They rode to battle and then got off their horses and then yeah. fought. And you fought with spears. No one fought with swords. Swords are too close to the enemy. You fight with something. Yeah, they, they work out all these things, actually. And Yeah, that, that's, yeah, from an academic point of view, that's really good. Um, in terms of role play, you could get... If, yeah, it's it's something to do. I mean, if, if it's a way of educating people we didn't have, you know, a few hundred years ago. So from that point of view, it could be a good thing, absolutely. So, but yeah, yeah. I, I see those things growing. You know, you you see that. And I don't know if that's a, a reaction to how the world has been, and you know, in, in, to say in terms of having a purpose and finding something to do, and, and that. So, I mean, you see it with cosplay as well. It's a very similar thing. You know. Yeah, dressing up and acting out a fantasy because that's in effect what you're doing at least LARPing if it is related to historic events you have a, a sense of education with that yeah but um, like I, I really hope that you know, that can become the um, you know the new, the new theater of what we uh, what we saw with the with the Romans and the Greeks and in the mm in the long haul oh, i i i think it has it has potential um i mean larping it's it's also used in a um a derogatory term okay. uh unfortunately unfortunately you know oh he's a larper he's just you know he's faking it um but you don't really want to go into battle i mean that's that's the odd thing because no no there was no audience to battle yeah when when, when <laughs> when these battles happen, you yeah. didn't have a thousand people watching it. So, what is LARPing? Yeah, you know, why are you LARPing? Unless you're doing it for yourself to get some educational reasoning on how to fight and how they thought to get something out of it. How else? What are are you? Yeah, I, mean, I think because, it's. Yeah. I think it's also um, like just another way to connect with like-minded people, people yeah. who. Who share your your interests and maybe it'll you know become just another way of um, like truly finding out how our ancestors live. You know, as you said, you know, if that group does like that deep research into like how battles were actually fought, it's highly educational as well. And yeah, back then there may have been no crowds, you know, a thousand people watching from from the edge of the forest how two armies just completely yeah, each it's quite other. boring to watch a fight in a way. <laughs> i mean i've been to medieval reenactments before yeah we have them in england at castles you see you know, yeah 50 men fight each other and it's like it's not very exciting to watch you know i mean a uh, battle royale is, is you yeah. know it's great but after five minutes you just you get lost in the bodies and exactly yeah yeah I, so uh, th- those those instincts are you know there are still there and i think that's hmm. um you know maybe that's just one way of I'm, doing it yeah because some people yeah. like that i mean I, you know, I like martial arts myself and there's nothing beats going into a boxing ring and boxing so and there, there's a level of you know adrenaline and happiness you get from that that you yeah. just don't get from like yeah maybe from law there's a levels and pe- different people want different things that's the society today you don't have to go to war so that's the next best thing i guess if, if you're scared of getting hurt yes yeah, yeah. yeah so like a, a martial arts tournament if you will that's you know it's another way of of going to war it's another you know survival of, like the, of the fittest whose yeah. who's technique yeah i really wish there was there was a bigger thing here in the netherlands those medieval uh medieval fairs but i think we're just too small of a country really? for okay. that, unfortunately i mean uh, we we have them but um not with whole you know jousting tournaments okay um, i think you know we're we're quite a quite a small country so i don't really think we uh, we have have much place or um like much much interest for things to do i don't know I think, yeah I mean, <laughs> jousting's really, jousting's really in, I, I quite like watching jousting that's that's you know because the whole powerful horses going in it's rare that you get horses in larping i'd imagine because that's that's quite dangerous you can't really run horses at people yeah 
that's um but see horses in jousting I, I, I quite like that there's a lot of skill involved in that i think yeah it would be it, that i mean that'd be in that's like that's the next step of of bringing it back you know like yeah. actually bringing back horses and, and riders and about back. cruelty won't they so there'll be people who say well that's cruel to horses yeah yeah and it, that's yeah the way it is yeah, and exactly. So, what do you do? Do you, then you have virtual reality, and everybody sits at home wearing little glasses and pretending they're on a horse, killing people. I don't know. It's it's. Uh, uh, I think yeah. I think that's that's going do? about about the wrong way. Like you, yeah, you're experiencing it, but you're like not, you're not really, really exactly experiencing it. Yeah, yeah. So no, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, that's. Uh, It'll be interesting how the world develops because it'll be a shame for people to lose touch with those real physical events and that. And, and say, if, you know, what can we remain from our ancestors in terms of ritual and and reconstruction? Certainly, go outside, go into it, get some sunlight, <laughs> you know, see yeah. the stars, you know, build a campfire, camp for a night with your friends sing songs around the fire tell stories around the fire leave your phones at home just be there yeah. do do that for one night with your mates with, with you know some bottles of mead or ale or beer that's you know you have you have you've never, if you've never done that to anyone who's watching you know just get some friends together and do that and you know you may find it boring and got nothing to talk about well that tells you <laughs> a lot about why they're your friends then you know but if you've got, yeah. you know, then in which case you need to make some experiences and you need to go places with your friends and see things with your friends and experience things with your friends. And that's what creates the stories. Really. That's create stories, tell those stories. Yeah. yeah. No, I think, I think the, um, the need for that is, is growing. People are really starting to feel, well, cooped up as well, you know, within the, like, as you said, you know, the whole nine to five cycle it, there is there is really no such thing anymore as you know the company man people don't work or at least you know my my generation <laughs> they don't work 20 30 40 50 years for the same company yeah, for the, under, under the same same boss it just at a certain point just starts to to itch and you know they they want more they want something more like there, there is still this this need to um to create a a legacy but mm -hmm. um we just need to need to find the right way of uh, of creating a, a a legacy and i think you know as you said just going going outside and i mean it's become a meme, you know touch grass it's become <laughs> it's a meme at this point uh but you know that, that also outside here <laughs> oh yeah i mean ga gameplay sucks but the graphics exactly. are great <laughs> exactly yes yeah that's it yeah so that's that's what you do with that's reconstruction is you know our ancestors had to do particular things to live we don't have to do that but let's do it go outside and do things so you've got yeah. something to tell a story about you know you can go, go on a walk, hike up a mountain and realize how hard that is and, and down again but at least you've got a story how we hiked up the mountain and Wherever you go, go kayaking down rivers for a few miles. Just yeah, live, live. That's yeah, my, yeah. Don't don't spend your entire life behind just whatever. Watching YouTube. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> unless it's you know, unless it's Crack and Fort or Graham yeah. Pagans, then exactly. you're, you're more than welcome to binge it, of course. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's that's that, that's my. Yeah, that that would be my recommendation. Anyone who wants to reconstruct stuff is, don't worry about the religious stuff so much because it is really an artificial reconstruction. Concentrate on the people you're with in that reconstruction and create stories with them, because then you'll yeah. naturally bond. You'll naturally have things to talk about. Naturally, want to do more, and that creates community, creates friendships, creates bonds. Yeah, and then allows you to tell stories. Because those stories had to start somewhere and yeah. they didn't come from nothing things happened for the stories to be created so create your own stories that would be you know, a sign of a great tribe even if it's just so that you have a story to tell around the water cooler on exactly at, at the office you know it's uh 
How yeah. did you get that axe stuck in your head, Jimmy? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was out last night with Dan Woods telling the story. Yeah. That's those things. But yeah, that's what you want. You want that, yeah. Because yeah. then people remember you. Because then when you die, your friends will tell stories about you. And if they're funny stories, other people remember that story and they'll tell that story. There we go. That's, well, we solved the answer to life, the universe, and everything there. <laughs> <laughs> Create a legacy, have people. Correct. Talking yeah, live about a life. you for for generations, generations to come. I think, I think we should indeed focus focus more on that. You know, the the religious aspect. It's it's great. It it helps a lot of people, definitely. But um, you know, our our gods, the the pagan gods. You know, they are nature. They are in nature. They are expressions of nature nature is a expression of you know of the gods of the divine so mm -hmm. want to experience the divine go outside you know hug a tree exactly. touch grass do do something yes. you know be Thoughts, that be yeah. that be that hippie that your your parents are afraid exactly you, that you Appreciate have to what the gods have done i mean don't worship the gods the gods aren't there to be worshipped they don't you know, they don't listen to you like 99.999 percent of the time they've you know yeah yeah only when you need something talk to them but never offer too much you know because yeah. you won't be able to pay it back they, exactly balance. just just keep keep yeah. your balance exactly yeah, yeah make yeah that's yeah, yeah uh, and i mean from coming from a uh a academic i think it's uh, from an academic standpoint yeah you know, i wouldn't say that was necessarily quite an academic <laughs> point of view. we've got off no, a bit no, off topic but, but that's that's my view i mean I, I have friends who are are pagans and heathens and of traditional religion and and that is what you know makes the stories the best times are when you're with them telling stories doing something eating you know if, if we go down like a cafe cafe so we have a full english breakfast at the cafe some mornings you know and there's eight ten twelve of us there when you've got that many lads around the table, it's, it's great stories. Yeah, we go away occasional weekends, great stories, you know, camping and big fire, good food. That's makes it, it's, you know, that's the, that's the good life. It's the, the life we, uh, we should all be striving. Yes. I think we be striving think for, yeah. yeah, I think, um, I think we, uh, we should wrap it up here i don't think it's okay uh, yeah that's been an uh, interesting conversation certainly didn't go in the direction i expected <laughs> but no, no, it, I, it was I really mean, interesting really interesting i like that it was a really nice uh, sort of informal chat at the end the last half of that that's very good yeah thing. just you know yeah ended on a uh on a high point with some, exactly. you know, some good good fatherly <laughs> advice uh as well um so yeah thank you thank you very much i for sure have um have learned learned a lot more and have um, definitely some thoughts that I uh, that I had I have an answer to or you know more to more to think about or to ponder um, yes yeah yeah definitely I'll get my uh, my orb and just ponder over them and yeah thank you uh, thank you very much um, where can My pleasure yeah where can the where can the people find your content is there anything big you are currently working on um crack and fold is where you find me on the youtube channel it's there uh what am i working on i'm hopefully i'll send out a, i'll be doing a book review this weekend to get a video on, on books if you want to learn about indo-european mythology the next video is either going to be about aphrodite or about a myth on living images uh, uh, so several thousand years old. So, uh, oh. but I just various, yeah, old myths and old gods is where we tend to talk about. Yeah, yeah. I actually just uh, just saw your video about uh, about cats. And oh, how right, yeah. They were the the gods and all of that. I mean, I got my uh, I don't know <laughs> where he is at the moment, but I got a I got a big red and. He oh. definitely thinks he's uh, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's he's royalty and you know should be I have a personality definitely definitely oh yes. yeah definitely <laughs> no but uh, thank you thank you very much for it's been a pleasure uh, for coming on yeah no it's uh, it definitely has uh, this has been 
Stein Fox from the Graham Pagans podcast with Sir John Craigenford. I thank you all for being here. I thank you all who came into the live chat. Thank you all. Thank you to all who is listening to this, watching this after uh, after the live. And we will all see you next time. Thank you all. See ya. Thank you.